Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either brother or son. Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is God's word. I'm a slow walker. Good morning. Uh, so we are in the joy-filled sunshine book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, a quick uh, summary of things so far is that there is no temporal thing that can bear the weight of our existence. And for me personally, uh, listening to all these sermons at home or here, uh, I think that's, that's the main thing that I want to take with me once the series is over, is that there is just absolutely nothing that's temporal in this life that uh, is significant enough to answer all the deep, deep questions of, of why we're here, why do we exist, uh, what's the point of all this anyways, the deep uh, longings of our hearts, our hopes, and our dreams, that uh, there isn't anything, uh, not, not our relationships now, not our work, uh, not the pursuit of knowledge, not the pursuit of health, not the pursuit of spirituality, not the pursuit of pleasure, uh, not even our family. There's, there's nothing that can uh, fully satisfy if you just take it for what it is, just in this temporal existence that we live in. And <clears throat> the teacher uh, of Ecclesiastes says that this is proven by three things, death, time, and evil. And uh, death is kind of the, the combination of time and evil. 
time will grind out into nothing uh, everything that we've accomplished. And give enough millennia or a million years or whatever it might be, and whatever it is that you manage to achieve will be duff. Uh, your relationships will be gone and forgotten. <clears throat> and then evil sort of uh, puts a cold blanket over all of your current hopes and dreams and desires, uh, knowing that you know, suffering is going to pervade uh, everything that you get to do and experience in all of your relationships. <laughs> and then death ends it all. It's just the period at the end. It's the hard stop. The animals die and we die, so... You know, uh, and and what's what the the there is there is something uh, I think that is absolutely fantastic and wonderful about this line of thought, and we'll we'll get there real soon. Uh, but first, I want to read this again because it is one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born and has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. So it's not my life verse, because that, be, that would be strange, but you could... You could call it my death verse, maybe. Uh, and for some of us, we might hear that and have a hard time relating initially. That, you know, the dead have it better than the living. Maybe that's not how bad you look at your own life or the lives of others. Or uh, the saying, there's no comforter for the oppressed. Maybe, you know, you haven't, maybe things haven't been so bad for you. Uh, in particular, some of the people that you know. And what I want to say about that is just that you're, you got lucky. Because you just got lucky. Uh, we're, we're lucky in the course of history, human history, and in the place that we're at, to wake up and know that we have enough food for the day. Uh, we're, we're lucky to have clean water, even still today. Uh, 2.3 billion people, one out of every three, doesn't have uh, clean water as a consistent, you know, expectation of their life. Half of the world right now lives on $2.50 a day. How do you think they feel about these verses? One in six children are growing up in a war zone. I have kids, and I can't, I cannot fathom. If my kid's life were in jeopardy on a daily basis, I think I could understand these verses pretty well. You know, the dead have it better than the living. This is ridiculous. This is so bad. Uh, and I think <clears throat> what's important to remember is that the teacher did say there's two different characters in this story, in this short little verse section. There's the oppressors and there's the oppressed. And the oppressors have the power. And I think it's worth just considering, you know, just a basic thought experiment. Uh, where do you think the wealth that we have comes from? The United States has 5% of the world's population and consumes 24% of its resources. Do you think that's a loving and fair distribution of wealth and power? Do you think that the United States did not steal and bully its way into the resources and the comforts that it has that we get to experience? 
Because I believe, you know, what the teacher says. And the teacher says that power is on the side of the oppressors. Just kind of a broad, sweeping look at it. If we were to step back and look at the stream of human history, how many times were the comfortable people on the side of the oppressors of others? It's just something to think about. Uh, but regardless of all that, you could still be here and, and understand those verses. Those verses could apply well to you. You know, you could have had a, a really difficult childhood, a really difficult life, and it, it might make sense to you to say, you know, the dead have it better than me, and, and to, to, to feel that. Um, so <clears throat> it's, it's a reality uh, that billions of people experience. It's a reality that some of us experience right now. And uh, it's a good thing to simply accept that the world, in and of itself, and all of its temporal offering, offerings, is, at its heart, pretty evil place and hopeless. <clears throat> now, the, uh, there are a number of reasons for us as to why it can be so beneficial to hold on to this and truly believe it and carry that belief through your life. One is, I think, uh, it's necessary for our humility. I think it's necessary for us to have proper mercy towards other people. I think it's necessary for us to have a pro proper gratitude for our salvation that we have. I think it's a necessary protection against the temptation of false gods in our life. And I think it's necessary for us to have a proper fear in life and desire to pursue wisdom. And I'll, of course, break all that down. But first, humility. Uh, <clears throat> the teacher uh, strikes down anyone who thinks they made it in this life due to their hard work and success. I guarantee you that if you grew up in a war-torn country, you would not be so successful and, and comfortable. Uh, your success and comfort, comfort is as, as much an accident of birth as it is of anything else. And so we should not uh, be prideful of our position or prideful in comparison of ourselves to another. We should instead have two, two responses to this reality in which we may experience more comfort and better than some of the other folks who can really say it's better if I were dead. And we should be thankful, of course, that God spared us from uh, maybe some of the worst things. And, of course, this is just for the camp of those who feel that way. I'm sure there's those here who feel like it's as bad as it can get. I've met some of you. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but you should be thankful if, if you feel like, you know, you've kind of missed the bullet, in a sense, and you've had it pretty decent. Because that's not true for all of human history, and it's not going to be true. And you should also be worried. You should ask yourself, am I on the side of the oppressors? Am I contributing to the inequality and pain and suffering in the world? And, uh, you know, worried to say, am I giving of these resources that I've received to help others who are truly in absolute desperate straits? So it should bring us to our knees in humility when we accept the fact that the world is basically an evil, broken place without hope, uh, when we look at whatever it is that we've been given in our time here. And then <clears throat> it should also give us uh, extreme mercy. Because 
for people who have no hope in God, and they find that the world is evil and hopeless, and they experience all this suffering and evil in their own life, why would we be surprised that they would lash out? Why would we, you know, for an instant, be shocked that they would steal gas out of a truck? You know, maybe that's their only source of heat at night. Is starting up their car. You know, the homeless car population in Portland is pretty huge. But it should give us great mercy if we believe and understand uh, how tough things are and how tough things can be. And also, when people come to us and they're in distress and they're sharing what they've been through in life, we wouldn't sugarcoat it and say, oh, it's just okay, you know, uh, it will be taken care of, everything will be fine, you know, stop your whining kind of thing. Uh, so I think it's necessary to have a proper, realistic mercy and humility as we walk through this life. And then, <clears throat> I think it's also... Uh, necessary for us to believe how dark things are because it will make our salvation that we believe in grow so much bigger in our own eyes. If we uh, put our hope in these temporal things, if we put our hope in our job success, in our family relationship success, in our friends' success, in our health success, in just kind of this successful storyline of our life, if that's if that's where our hope is, then when we wake up in the morning and when we go to bed at night, we don't need to remember God because we've, you know, we've got it. Things are moving along. But if we take time, death, and evil, and we realize that everything that we would accomplish task-wise and every relationship that we would have Minus God from the scenario is just going to be ground out into dust over the course of time. And that can't possibly satisfy our heart's deepest longing and desire for meaning and purpose. Then when we, we wake up, we would think about our salvation and we realize that it's only because of the salvation of God that these relationships and these things that I'm doing can be safe. What God does is he takes eternity and he moves it into the temporal. He takes uh, the infinite and moves it into the finite. He takes meaning and purpose that is eternal and forever and breaks it into your life, into that finite relationship or action that you're taking. And he saves it. Your salvation and mine is for our hope for eternity and it is for our hope for meaning of anything today. Any action that we take will only have meaning or significance if God saves it, if God redeems it. And so when we wake up, we say, thank you, God, for your salvation. And when we go to bed, we say, thank you, God, that I know that that interaction I had will echo into eternity because Jesus said, you know, if you give a glass of cold water to a kid, it'll like last forever. It will always be remembered. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do directly to Jesus Christ. And we would be so thankful at the end of the day just to have the opportunity, you know, to have some of these temporal things last forever.
Uh, this is our salvation. It's our uh, only hope. It's the only hope, and it's more than enough to deal with this wicked world. <clears throat> All right. So <clears throat> the other thing that everything being so terrible is good for is uh, that it's protection against false gods in your life. And false gods are those things that we take, whatever it might be, a relationship, a job, uh, pleasure, and it's important, but we make it so important as to try to make it satisfy our meaning for existence today, to fully give us uh, the depth of satisfaction that we need to, to move on. That becomes a false god in your life, and people are driven by all sorts of different things. And it's their, their whole life, their whole course of life is motivated and driven by this one thing, and then, you know, you better hope it doesn't fall apart, because then they will too. And the teacher, as we're going through Ecclesiastes, just says, you know, there's no hope in your family, right? There's no hope in your friends. There's no hope in your job. There's no hope in yourself. There's no hope in your pleasure. There's no hope in gaining knowledge. There's no hope in a better physical health. There's no hope in better power or reputation. There's no hope in more wisdom. There's no hope in your spiritual path. And that's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing because it sets you free. What drives us crazy is, uh, will, will people love me? Will, will I be able to accomplish enough? Will I be good enough? Will what I do uh, uh, matters? Will I, uh, you know, succeed? And the teacher says, no, no, you will not. They will all be just ground out into little tiny pieces of dust. It will cease to exist. It's all gone. It's all meaningless. And it sets you free from their tyrannical rule over your life. That if only, if only I could get this better job. If only I could make more money. If only I could find the right guy or girl. If only my kids were this or that. If only I had better health. If only... Uh, you just say, you know, bye-bye <laughs> to all those things. Because, <clears throat> and it's really just an issue of, of order or priority. Because if you say first, all right, so I accept what the teacher says and wash my hands of those things. And then I recognize that my only hope is in the salvation that I have now and for eternity. And so I'm going to take all these things that are still good and important to me. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm going to take all these things that are good and important to me, and I'm going to take them to God first. And I'm going to say, what, where are you redeeming these things? How, how, are, you, how are you moving in these things? Uh, how can I serve you so that this will last and it won't be burned up at the end of the day? How, how can I uh, bring honor to, to your name in my relationships and in my actions and in my uh, circumstances? Because those are the only, that's the only way it gets turned around. That's the only way it gets redeemed. That's the only way it continues. That's the only way at the end of the day anything actually happened. <clears throat> uh, and then, guess what? You are... Uh, a tough individual because now what can't take you down 
right? Someone's opinion. You know, there's many verses in Scripture, what can man do to me? And it's in reference to their relationship with God. Like, I can't, I can't do anything. Because you're set, your whole mindset and your whole way of thinking about the world and completely change that frame around to say that it's not their opinion of me. It's God looking at this relationship. And if I'm being good and honorable and sacrificing in it, that will be remembered forever. (laughs) And your rejection of me is just part of this grand story of the wickedness and hopelessness of the world. And the same for your body slowly falling into pieces. Is that it's not your recovery of your body that's going to mean anything. It's your thankfulness and, you know, willingness to suffer in a way that shows other people your faith in God and your love for God and your love for them. I mean, it, uh, it puts you on such a sure and firm foundation that you are simply not jostled by the circumstances of life. I mean, and I'm not saying they're not going to be important to you, you're not going to feel it, you're not going to be emotionally devastated or need to go to counseling or anything like that. I'm just saying that uh, there is still a real uh, security, a real strength uh, when you're living for a different reason than you were before. Um, And that's in contrast to living for all these things in which there is no stability, there is no hope, there is no ultimate security. People can easily betray you. Your circumstances can fall apart at a moment's notice, and you don't have any control over these things. So I want to just uh, give you a a few of the ways in which I've let false gods rule over me to help, you know, give more examples. And... uh, you know, as a, as a kid, probably most of us, it was the, the love of another, so the, the love of a girl, right? If, you, if I could only get the right girlfriend, then my life would be complete. And man, I would just be in complete anguish about this. And then uh, older, you know, have, have two boys, now it's, now it's the health of my son, you know, that he would speak and that he would grow and develop properly. Uh, and then it's, you know, it's the success of my job. If only I could make enough money, uh, do well enough. And then sometimes it's, uh, I like to do lots of creative projects and things. And if only I could just write all the time or make music all the time or just do these creative things all the time, then I would be happy and fulfilled and satisfied. And you've got probably multiple things yourself right now. Uh, if thens, right? If I had this, then. If I had this, then. If I had this, then. Uh, and man, one of the best things you could ever do is just say no to all of that. No, no, incorrect. Incorrect. Take a step back, restart your whole brain and way of approaching it and saying uh, God is enough in this, this life for me. He does care about these temporal things, and I care about these temporal things. But at the end of the day, 
uh, only if, you know, I'm living for him, only if he chooses to save any of this will any of it be saved. And so I'm going to reset my, reset my priorities and put my trust in my hope where it belongs and on a firm foundation. Uh, so <clears throat> the uh, last point on the terribleness of the world, the terribleness of the world is necessary for us to have proper fear and pursue wisdom. And that's how the teacher in Ecclesiastes continues in chapter 4, is uh, he basically is writing a survival guide for a wicked world. And he's got a few, few points, and it seems kind of sporadic as you're reading the text, but that's what it is. It's, it's just basically saying, he starts out with, this is how bad it is. People feel like they'd, they'd be better off if they were dead. And here's some, some things that you can do to, you know, your zombie survival guide to last a little bit longer before you're dead, too. Uh, <clears throat> and the first, you know, zombie survival guide entry is to apply wisdom to your work life. He says, you know, don't be too lazy because you'll just get destroyed faster. Uh, and then also don't, you know, put all of your passions into work uh, because it's completely meaningless. It will be ground into dust. It won't matter. It won't pass on. Uh, zombie survival guide entry two is the benefit of personal relationships. He says uh, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Be them falls down, one can help the other up. Just think of people fleeing in like in a zombie movie. When I'm reading this, it will help set the setting. Uh, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So uh, a couple things to notice. One is, is that he doesn't caution on friendships like he cautions on a lot of things. Uh, you can have as many more friends you can have, and the deeper those relationships, the better. Uh, <clears throat> also, he says... A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. He doesn't say it can't be broken. It's just you'll survive a little bit longer. <laughs> and that's, it's still a survival tip. It's a survival tip. It's not a source of salvation. It's not a source of ultimate hope. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. And the teacher is about as positive in this section as he is in the whole book. <laughs> but... It's still, it's just, you know, uh, it's a survival tip. And then uh, entry three is to apply wisdom to politics. And the teacher here at the end of the chapter is just throwing up this scenario where, you know, you have a young, poor, oppressed ruler rises into power. He listens to advice, you know, justice and mercy for all. And it's better. And then everyone that follows that ruler doesn't like the ruler anymore. And then eventually all the ruler's work is undone over time. So it's true, it's still a survival tip. If you've got a better, better government for a while, it will be better for a while. It's just not a method of salvation. There's no ultimate hope in it. It's kind of unfortunate it will still fall apart over time. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, that's when you're, you know, maybe not excited to think about how terrible everything is, remember that... It's necessary for your humility. You should just be glad that you have your basic needs. For, I mean, that should be part of your, 
relationship with God, I think it should be part of your everyday thought process. As, oh, this is awesome, food and water and shelter. You know, because a lot of people, they just don't, they don't have that. They're not going to uh, have it consistently. Um, and uh, you should also, you know, ask yourself within that humility, am I taking too many of these resources for myself in the process? Am I supporting an oppressive government? And I'll just leave that one up to you. But, uh, and then it's necessary for mercy. You, you've got it good in comparison to a lot of folks. You can't possibly understand what they've been through. And Scripture is saying that, yeah, it gets that bad. That they're right to feel. They're, it's totally right for them to feel like it'd be better if they were dead. It gets that bad for people. And so there's no reason for you not to have mercy and compassion and sympathy and understanding when you run into people that are just animal survival, just trying to get through it all. Uh, it's necessary for us to have a proper gratitude for salvation. What do we need God for if, if, if we could be satisfied here? You know, if we could put our hope in here and it will truly last and it will truly satisfy the deepest longings of our heart and we'll be totally fine and everything's going to be okay, then why remember God when you get up and why remember God when you go to bed? Uh, but if his salvation is necessary for you to have any meaning in your day at all, then, you know, you start remembering him. Uh, and then it's necessary to protect against false gods because it could be one of the first things you say when you know that you really put yourself too far out there in caring about this particular job or this particular hurt in a relationship or this particular thing that you want or whatever it is. As that knowing that, oh, no, 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 all that stuff is just ground out into dust eventually. This, I can't put that much of myself into this one thing. It's not... It can't hold it. It can't bear the weight of my existence. <laughs> I need to pull back and figure out where to put this and all these aching desires and hopes and dreams that I have. Uh, and then, of course, hopefully you'll put those in God's salvation for you. And then it's necessary for us, as the teacher goes on, to have a proper fear that, you know what, things can be real bad, and there's no guarantee that they'll continue to be good, even here. Uh, and so we need to, you know, apply wisdom to our lives. We need to uh, understand, you know, that, hey, if we can have good politics, let's have it. If we can have uh, more friends, let's, let's do it. And if I can, you know, balance my work life uh, uh, self, let's do that too. Um, and, and, and also, you know, I think when, when we look at Jesus Christ... In his relationship with the world, everything kind of helps become even more clear. Because Jesus was under no illusion that this was a happy, good place when he came down. Uh, he uh, <clears throat> had, when he came and walked among us, I mean, that, that gives us our basic like, plan for our own lives, like how, you know, we're supposed to imitate Christ as he lived when he was here. And when he was here, uh, you know, he cried and he suffered um, and he had fun and he loved 
but he, he never had any disillusion. He never had any weird illusions where he thought this place was so great <laughs> or that things were going to work out or that there was really some hope here. He, he brought uh, eternal salvation with him into a broken and, and temporal world. And he survived by going to mountaintops and praying and reminding himself of the eternal salvation and hope that he was a part of. Uh, and he did not uh, shrink back from the evil in this world. And unfortunately, I think that's a lot of what Christians do, is they kind of get the whole first part of this message of how terrible and hopeless everything is, and they start shaking, and then they go like hide in the corner with their other Christian friends. <laughs> like, let's just wait till it passes. <laughs> but uh, Jesus came in, arms open wide, ready to love this whole hot mess and die for it. And and if if we can put our our hope in eternity like he did, then we can do the same thing. We can, we can approach how awful and how hard it is and not, you know, whitewash it or uh, explain it away that things are so terrible. We can just say, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Uh, and I can love it at the same time because of the eternal security and the, the hope that I have. And we can be like him even in the midst of all the, all the uh, terrors of this world. <clears throat> so what I would like us to do for just a couple minutes is I would like you to pray and ask God uh, one thing, and that is what are the, the number of ways in which I'm hoping in something other than you for my ultimate uh, salvation or sustenance or meaning for existence. Just ask him to reveal those to you, and then, uh, and then we'll pray a little confession and prayer of faith. Lord, we just thank you so much that you, and this is not the end of the sermon, so nobody else come up here. <laughs> we thank you so much. <laughs> That you are a sure and true, uh, unassailable hope above and beyond any of these distractions and things that, that drive us crazy, the things that we think we have to have, or people, or relationships. So Lord, we're going to pray now, we're just going to take a few minutes to ask you, what are the things in our life that are gods to us? What are the things in our life that we're looking for ultimate meaning in, ultimate hope?
The Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life is final. The measure in which he saved you is infinite. There is an untold amount of hope for every single day. There, you're the luckiest people on the face of the earth. Because <clears throat> this is the temporal made eternal. And if God can make a crucifixion the salvation of the world, he could save you in your circumstances. I believe it. And so now we have opportunity uh, to take communion. If the communion people would come forward and backwards. And remember uh, this great and complete salvation that overpowers anything in your life with its stability and hope and God's overwhelming love and grace for you.